And this is the Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 16th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. From that time on, after Peter confessed that Jesus was the Messiah, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and undergo great suffering at the hands of the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this must never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block for me, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone want to become my followers, let them deny themselves take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit them if they gain the whole world but forfeit their life? Or what will they give in return for their life? For the Son of Man has come to his with his angels in the glory of the Father, and then he will repay everyone for what has been done." Truly, I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. The assembly may be seated. Grace and peace to you from God, our Creator, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Every Monday for me begins roughly the same way. Walk all the way to work, commute, you know, could be better, but that's fine. And once I get into my office, I sit down and I pull out my calendar and I look at what I got going on and I make a to-do list. And I sit there, it's my way of organizing all of my thoughts. It's a way for me to, to get ready for the week ahead. And my favorite part of the to-do list is I draw this little squiggle line and underneath I write all the stretch goals I have for the week, the things I know I'm not going to do, but I got to write down anyway, like clean my office. If you've been in my office, you'd know I've never actually gotten to that part of my to-do list, but I write it anyway, right? I aspire. I have the best of intentions, even if rarely, if ever, do they come to fruition. And boy, oh boy, doesn't that sound a lot like our friend Peter? here today. The best of intentions, even if things don't quite work out how he had planned. Because you see, Peter has been freshly promoted to a key carrying disciple. You see, last week he declared that Jesus was the Messiah and Jesus therefore offered him the keys to the kingdom, the opportunity to loose and to bind as he deems appropriate. He has been elevated to an very, very important role, having now named that Jesus is the Messiah, which is where we pick up today. We pick up today where Jesus begins to give us the job description of what a Messiah does. Perhaps better put, the to-do list for what it is that lies ahead. It's a pretty straightforward list. It starts with go to Jerusalem. Okay, sure, that's doable. I mean, he goes from time to time to visit, right? The next is to undergo great suffering, all right? Maybe not as agreeable, but we can see where this plays out. Then, you know, die is the next thing and then rise again on the third day. Peter's not thrilled. In fact, 
I don't think Peter even listens to the end of the to-do list. I think Peter kind of stops before he gets underneath the squiggled line on the bottom of the paper. And I say that because Peter, before Jesus is even done, says, God forbid, that can't happen to you. But think about it. If Peter listened to the end of what it was that Jesus had to say, he would know that the last thing was resurrection, defeating death itself. And I can't imagine Peter would forbid that from happening. But Peter gets so caught up in the suffering and the death that he doesn't stick around long enough to hear the good news at the end, the story of resurrection. And I got to say, sometimes I'm the same way. I get so caught up in, in the misery and the suffering of this life that I don't stick around long enough to see how it ends. To see God's final word is always one of renewal, of new life, of resurrection. Indeed, we have to follow through those places to find ourselves at the risen Lord. And speaking of following, Jesus says, and if any of you want to become my followers, you need to pick up your cross and follow me. This is Jesus's sales pitch. This is Jesus's mission statement. And I got to say, it could use a little bit of refining. That is a terrible mission statement. I can't imagine if I were one of his followers, I'd ever want to do what he just described. Because think about it. What he's really telling them is, Pick up your instrument of death and come with me, right? Pick up your guillotine and follow me. Pick up your electric chair and let's go. Doesn't work, man. It's a terrible, terrible slogan to say the least. It's, it's scandalous is what it, what it really is, but we've kind of done ourselves a disservice over time. We've kind of removed the scandal out of the cross. Instead of seeing it as this tool of empiric dominion and oppression, We've sanitized it. We give crosses to kids for their first communion celebration. We like to hang crosses on the wall of our nicely cleaned pastor's office. We get crosses tattooed to show all of our friends how edgy we are after we graduate seminary. Right? We, we've sanitized the cross over the years, but this is an important reminder that to choose the way of the cross means choosing self-denial. It means choosing a way of suffering, dare I say, even death. But here's the secret. Whether or not you choose the way of the cross, these things, death and suffering, are universally part of the human experience. But choosing to pick up the cross doesn't change that. Suffering is just a part of what it means to be human. Death awaits each and every one of us. But what is unique here today is that Jesus is inviting us to face these realities, trusting that on the other side of things, there will be life. There will be resurrection. To pick up one's cross is not a call to martyrdom, just as to pick up one's cross is not to just deal with life's daily annoyances, right? Oh, I'm a Bears fan, and therefore poor quarterback play is the cross I must bear. Oh, woe is me. Oh, I have kids that go to Ardmore, and to sit in that awful drop-off line is the cross I must bear because I'm too lazy to wake up early enough to walk my kids to school. No, 
This isn't about life's daily annoyances. To take up one's cross is to align oneself with God's truth, to take up the cause that Christ came for, to give oneself for the sake of justice and peace and equality, particularly for those who are oppressed and cannot strive for those things on their own. To take up one's cross is to deny the ways of empire in the world, the isms that tear us asunder, the death-dealing ways of this place. Servanthood in the name of Christ is not an escape from suffering, just as messiahship is not an escape from death but instead an opportunity, an invitation to lose that life that focuses on oneself in favor of one that puts Christ at the center. And at the center of Christ's mission is the cross, is that place of suffering that leads to new life and redemption. Look, I don't think Peter's dumb for his response. Fact, I kind of think if I were in the same position, I would have probably responded a very similar way. The challenge is Peter's view, my view, is too narrow. Our God is too small. Sometimes we lack the ability to see beyond our own humanity, to see the power of the divine at work in and among us. And it's understandable because what Christ is asking them to see is the resurrection, something that they can't even see yet. What he's telling him to look out for is something that's not even going to occur until all this other stuff happens first. Peter cannot see, cannot hear beyond the suffering, beyond the death. But I think the good news on this side of the resurrection story is that we are in a privileged place where we have the opportunity to do that. And as a community, I think we do it pretty darn well. We know resurrection is our story. Therefore, when one of us is suffering, we gather together in prayer for God's healing presence. When one of our members dies, we gather in mourning, but also in celebration for God's comforting presence. When we come here on a Sunday morning, feeling like the work of this week has us at a loss for words. When we come here, we gather at this table in the presence, the real presence of Christ, that we may know that we are forgiven, experience newness of life, find resurrection to face the week ahead. We experience most fully the cruciform way of life in community with each other and with God, the very God who we are called children of in the waters of baptism. The very Christ whose cross marks our foreheads in that moment when we are claimed as sons and daughters of the risen Lord. To bear one's cross does not mean to suffer for suffering's sake, but instead means that we hold true to God's promise of life and resurrection even as we suffer. Our to-do list 
as those called to bear the cross of Christ is pretty simple and pretty short. That to do is to simply look for signs of the resurrection at all times and to live lives that help others to do the same, to know that this gift isn't just something particular to us, but is a gift for all of creation. Because scripture reminds us that at the end of times, when this all comes to conclusion, What it really is, is a new beginning, a new Eden, a new creation, where all are made new, and where suffering and pain and weeping are no more. That is what the cross points to. And even if we can't see it today, I assure you it will be there tomorrow. So thanks be to God for this call this day and always. Amen.